to read the gospel account according to Luke, he makes this statement in the very beginning. He is not the only one who has written about the things we're about to read. He said, many people have taken in hand, taken upon them to set in order the things that have happened. And of course, we know that Matthew, Mark, and John both set in order the things that happened during the lifetime of Christ. But though they were delivered unto those who were even eyewitnesses from the very beginning, Luke thought it was a good thing because he assuredly knew and was trained in exactly what happened from the very beginning. So I want us to keep in mind this evening how Moses sought to seek the glory of God. We talked about this morning, Exodus chapter 33. And I want us to use that mindset on seeking to help us learn how to see Jesus. That's the title of the sermon this evening, How to See Jesus. Of course, we understand a lot of things about Luke. Luke happens to be one of those people who uh, is very prominent in the writings of the New Testament, but we don't talk an awfully lot about Luke because we do not have a whole lot of personal detail about Luke. We know that he was a companion uh, missionary to Paul and to uh, Silas and some of those others. He was a, a beloved friend and laborer in the uh, vineyard of God. And without him, we wouldn't have about half of the New Testament. Of course, he wrote uh, the Gospel according to Luke that uh, I just read from. And he also wrote about the history of the church, the Acts of the Apostles. And uh, when we combine those that material together, he wrote more than any other writer in the New Testament, including Paul. His material makes up about half of the New Testament. And so, when we uh, read through the New Testament, there's not a whole lot of things mentioned particularly about Paul, or excuse me, about Luke. Paul mentions him to the Colossian brethren, Colossians 4.14. He says, Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. And we know that he did join Paul, Silas, and Timothy on Paul's second missionary journey. And, and he begins to be recorded or begins to record about him being there in about Acts chapter 16. He uh, doesn't talk anymore about they and them when talking about Paul and Silas and uh, the other brethren who were on those different journeys. And in chapter 16 he starts talking about we and the things that they did, and so he is now included in that group. But really beyond, uh, we know he was a physician, we understand he was a missionary, we don't have a whole lot of personal information about Luke. And he was very prominent in writing the New Testament. But perhaps one of the greatest things that Luke has left for us as we read his writings is a way wherein we can find Jesus, a way that we can see Jesus in much the same way that he did. As we look at the, the writers of the New Testament, particularly the apostles, we know that they were with Jesus from the beginning. They walked alongside him for about three and a half years as he traveled throughout Palestine and he heard the preachings of Jesus. He heard the Master pray. He listened to the parables, uh, or they listened to the parables. They saw the miracles that were going on, but Luke was not part of that group. Luke did not learn firsthand 
about the things that Jesus did. Now, do not misunderstand me. I'm not taking away the inspiration of which Luke, with which Luke wrote. Luke was 100% inspired. He didn't have to be there. But we can identify with the things that Luke did learn from people around him. Because that is how we have to learn and gain our knowledge of Jesus Christ. Luke came to that knowledge of Jesus in the exact same way each of us did. Someone had to teach Luke about the Christ. He came out of uh, some kind of a religion. He wasn't Jewish. He was Greek. And so he had to be taught. And so each of us had to be taught. Now, maybe he read some of the letters that Paul wrote. He may have gotten his hands on some of those and learned about the gospel of Christ through that. He might have uh, listened or have heard even Paul preaching or teaching at some point or some other person. But we do know that he gained his initial instruction in the ways of Christ through individuals. And that's our first point. And we can identify with that, can't we? He apparently lived in Asia Minor. We learned that he was, again, Greek in origin. It appears that he had never been in Judea until he accompanied Paul on that missionary journey. And as we noted before, he didn't walk in the Lord's footsteps. He followed him through the eye of faith. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 7. We don't know who it was exactly who trained Luke, who brought him to the gospel. Again, he might have listened to Paul and Troas. He could have been taught by Timothy or Silas. We aren't sure, but what we do know is that he definitely learned the gospel from someone without ever having met the Lord. He wasn't in close proximity with Jesus physically. He was not an eyewitness to the things that he recounted, but again, he was an inspired writer. And so like us, he was far removed. From the events of Christ's life, he was far removed from the interactions that Christ had with the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the Roman rulers, the Jewish leaders. He wasn't an eyewitness to that. But that's how all of us learned about Jesus, wasn't it? Through someone else. I know I can think back personally, and a family friend of ours taught us the gospel. And uh, it could be... Uh, a wife teaching a husband, a husband teaching a wife. Uh, someone could, through the efforts of a co-worker or a friend, and that's happened a lot. People learn about Jesus. Now we're told about uh, how Luke came to the knowledge of the gospel because he wasn't with Jesus. We know that he did it through somebody. But that's not unusual, is it? God has always used people to reach out to people. That's the plan. That's always been the plan. And that has been in effect since the day of Pentecost. At no point do we read about Christ teaching the gospel to anyone after Acts chapter 2. We do not read about an angel teaching anyone the gospel. We do not read about the Holy Spirit teaching anyone the gospel. It was always a person teaching another person. Acts 8.29 Philip taught the eunuch. The uh, uh, Holy Spirit sent him in a certain direction. An angel guided him on who to teach. 
But we notice that neither the angel nor the Holy Spirit taught the eunuch. It was Philip who taught the eunuch. We learned that uh, Saul of Tarsus, on his way to Damascus, he met Christ in the roadway on the way. You know what Christ did not tell him? Did not tell him how to be saved. He simply sent him to the place where he would learn to be saved, Acts 9 verse 6. And so God has always used somebody to teach other people. Because Christianity is learned through individuals. Now that puts a great responsibility on other Christians, doesn't it? We, we learn from individuals and therefore we must lead other individuals to Christ. Someone led Luke to the faith. And because of that, we have about half of the New Testament. His two letters are things that are of the utmost importance. The book of Acts has the very information in it on how someone becomes a Christian in example form. That doesn't mean we can't look at the writings of Paul and the writings of the other uh, New Testament scribes and learn the plan of salvation. We can read from the writer of Hebrews that we need to have faith. Hebrews 11 verse 6, can't we? For without faith it is impossible to please Him. So we know we have to have faith in order to please God. That came from the writer of Hebrews. I think perhaps that was Paul, but we're not told who his name is. We can learn through the writings of Luke that... Uh, uh, we have to repent, but we can find that other places, can't we? We can find that other places. We see it in the actions of those people who came before Paul and Silas and Barnabas and wanted to change their lives. So we don't have to have the writings of Luke, but boy, aren't they amazing to have an example of someone repenting of sin, someone confessing the name of Christ, someone being baptized and living faithfully. And so we must never underestimate our leadership and our influence abilities. We need to work on leading people to Christ. But that's how Christians change the world, isn't it? Do you notice that Christians, or God Himself, has never changed the world by changing the situation and then hoping that the people get better? He's never done that, has He? We look at the way the apostles approached people in the New Testament. We look at the different writings that Paul and Peter and the other writers sent out, those letters. They didn't change the situation and then hope that the people got better. They changed the people and the situation got better. That's what Christianity is all about. And that's how we can see Jesus by changing ourselves. And that's what Luke did. Luke changed himself. He learned and then he led others to Christ. Let's listen to his words again. Luke 1 verse 3. It seems good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write unto thee in order, most excellent Theophilus. How did he know what went on from the very beginning? Again, we go back and the man was inspired. He didn't have to be there, but he used other things to gain some knowledge about the, the events he wrote. He used investigation. That's our second point. Notice, because he investigated for himself, and we know he did because that's what God expects, we investigate the Scripture. We don't take people's words for it. We don't take the word of the preacher or the eldership. or anyone. We look in the Scripture and we determine 
what the truth is. And if someone can't point us to uh, an authoritative command, an example, a necessary inference, then we don't want to do that when it comes to uh, things of doctrine, right? And so there's no doubt that Luke talked with people about the great events that happened in the life of Christ. He had an opportunity for two years while Paul was in prison, Acts 24 verse 7, in Palestine to learn about the things that happened to Jesus. They weren't that far removed. They weren't that far removed. And so he would have been able to talk firsthand to people who did listen to Jesus, who did see some of the miracles, who did live and follow in His footsteps. Here's one thing God does not expect for us to do. Brethren, He does not expect us to be superstitious. Now when I say superstitious, what I mean is we follow after something simply because we've always done it. <clears throat> we have a we come out of a family that followed after a particular doctrine because that's just simply the way it's always been. That's not what God expects. He didn't expect Saul to do that. He expected Saul to repent, become the Apostle Paul. He didn't expect any of the called apostles to do that. He expected for them to listen to the Word of God, change where necessary, and remain the same where He wanted that to happen. Notice what Paul told those in Ephesus. Ephesians 3, beginning with verse 3. This, this says it all about our investigation. He says, "...how that by revelation He made known unto me the mystery." He's, of course, talking about God. God revealed, and that's what revelation means... He revealed the mystery. So it's no longer a mystery. He revealed it to Paul. He says, as I wrote afore in few, in few words, whereby when you read, ye may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. An honest look at the facts strengthens faith. And that's what God expects us to do. Let's think back to when we first obeyed the gospel. Do you think Brand new Christians ever question themselves? Do they ever say, how do I know for sure that I'm following the right path? I think that's normal. I think that we ought to question ourselves. Am I doing the right thing? Paul's told those in uh, Corinth to examine themselves, so we ought to examine our faiths. Am I following the Bible? Is my faith correct? Okay, from time to time we need to to look back, we need to do an inventory of the things in our lives and we need to ask, am I maintaining? Well, how do we know we're right? Well, we need to go to the, to the Bible, don't we? What does the Bible teach us in general? The Bible teaches us in general there's one God. It teaches us that Jesus Christ was a true person. He lived in this world. He performed the miracles of God. He died. He went to the grave. He rose again. He's ruling over the kingdom right now. And that Christianity took the place of the Jewish religion. Now those are some very general facts that point us to the right direction. We no longer follow the Jewish religion. Well, what do we follow? Well, let's take a look in the book of Acts. Let's take a look in the other epistles. We know there has been a change, so we are supposed to investigate that. All that is found in the Bible. Now, I want to, I ask this question. If all of that is in the Bible, why do people of the world insist that we cannot know the truth? Why do they insist that we cannot know the truth alike? 
All of these other details are compiled for us in the Bible, and for some reason, God left out the most important detail, how to become a Christian, how to be saved, how to inherit eternal life, how to live eternally with God. That doesn't make sense, does it? Because we know that that He has given that to us. And again, we can read from the Bible God's plan of salvation. We talk about the faith that that He has demanded of us, Acts chapter, or, uh, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, repentance. Paul told those uh, when he uh, preached to those on Mars Hill, he said, uh, now's the time God has required repentance from all people. Acts 17, verse 30, he says, in the times of this ignorance, God winked at, but now commandeth all men or all people everywhere to repent. That's very simple, isn't it? We agree with that. Confession that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and Paul made that statement. Romans chapter 10, beginning with verse 9, he said that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and thou shalt believe in thine heart that God raised Him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For, or because of that, he says, with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So there's got to be something else. I can investigate that and find that out. I can look at all the examples in the book of Acts. The thing that they all had in common. They all heard the word and they all were baptized. And so when we put the pieces together, we understand hearing the word, faith in Jesus, confession that He is the Son of God, immersion in water, and faithful living is what gets us to heaven. Paul, or excuse me, Peter commented, on the absolute necessity for baptism. We need to be able to tell people this. First Peter 3, beginning verse 20. He said, When once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was preparing, wherein the few, that is eight souls, were saved by water. The like figure, wherein to even baptism doth also now save us, not to put in away the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a clean conscience toward God. And the Bible is replete with God's demand from the Old Testament all the way through the New that we remain faithful in this life. And once we understand that, and we gain the confidence through learning those things, we have to continue in that faith. There are a lot of people in the world that say the Bible is some old story, More myth than fact. Nothing could be further from the truth. The Bible can be proven. Archaeologists continue to confirm the validity of the Bible. Science has uh, in the past confirmed the validity of the Bible and continues to confirm the validity of the Bible. And today, we can compare the gospel accounts written by four separate men. They all point to the same direction. They all teach the same story. Some have a few extra details than the others. Some omit some things that uh, they chose not to put into their account of Christ's life. But that doesn't mean that we have any kind of a contradiction. All we have is supplementation, right? Luke saw Jesus through individuals. And we can learn from that because that's where we are. Luke saw Jesus through investigation. And that's what God expects us to do. We're in the same position in which Luke found himself. But there's one last thing that he 
he did so he could see God, so he could see Jesus. He saw Jesus through initiative. That's our last point. That is one of the most important things I believe we learn about the man Luke. He was a worker in the church. He worked hard. He had initiative and he served other people, didn't he? He, he, was, he was a doctor, a physician. No doubt he could have made a comfortable living. We, we read about the lady who had the issue of blood for 12 years and it talks about her having spent her livelihood, all of her possessions on doctors to try to cure her. They made a good living. Paul, uh, excuse me, Luke could have continued to have done that, but he chose to serve God and to serve those around him. And we see other people doing that. Well known, we talk about it a lot, Matthew 4 verse 20. Andrew found Christ, and then who'd Andrew go find after that? His brother Peter. And he brought Peter to the Lord. When Luke gave himself to greater service, he was able to see Jesus better. He learned what it meant to serve. If we can ever learn exactly what it means to serve, we can better understand what Jesus did for us in serving the world. What a vital... What a vital lesson for everyone. Why does the world fail to see Jesus clearly? Because they fail to give themselves to Jesus wholly in His service. That's why Paul admonished us, 1 Corinthians 15, beginning with verse 58. He said, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Now, that's not a suggestion. That's not just a good idea. That's a commandment that we are to always be abounding in the work of the Lord. That's initiative. We see that initiative because Luke served and he found every opportunity to serve. Now, that brings us back to us. He also teaches us that we must strive to serve. That ought to be at the top of the list. We ought to have that at the top of the list. Do you notice that Luke's faith didn't leave him in Troas? Not at all. Again, he made a decision. He left secular work. He went with Paul to fulfill the Great Commission. That doesn't mean we have to leave here, leave our homes, give up our livelihoods to to go do mission work. And I'm thankful that a lot of people have done that. I know a lot of people who have given up the things back home and, and gone to a foreign nation and lived in, in under terrible circumstances with very little money or funding, all to preach the gospel. And I'm thankful for that. I don't know that I'm cut out for it. I don't know that I'm tough enough. I've had a little taste of that, but I don't think I could do that. Well, we could do it, couldn't we? We could do it if we needed to do it. So what do we do if we can't go personally? That doesn't relieve us of the, of the Great Commission, does it? So what do we do if I can't go to a foreign nation? Is the Great Commission limited to a foreign nation? No, the Great Commission starts in the backyard, doesn't it? It starts with those who we know, those with whom we work, those people that we, we know and love and, and we have a great desire that they get to heaven. That's our field. That's our vineyard. And it's wide unto harvest, just like anywhere else. And in fact, I think maybe the spread of the gospel is more difficult in this nation than it is in any nation. We have too much. 
And don't get me wrong, I like nice things. I like, I like to have nice things. I, I wish we all could have all the things that we desire in this world as long as we remain faithful. We remember that John, in speaking to Gaius, wrote him a letter and said, I want you to prosper as your soul prospers, right? That's the main thing. But it may be more difficult in this nation to reach out to people because people in this nation have all that they want. They're really lacking for nothing. Luke taught us being a Christian is not just about being saved. It's about serving. It's about striving to serve. It's about getting busy to help other people. And that's what Luke did. Do you understand and and realize that when Jesus called a disciple, never left them the same. They always improved. There was never a house. I wrote, I listened to, or uh, read a commentary one time on uh, some of the things that Jesus did. And Brother Guy Woods made a statement. He said, there was never a home in which Jesus went. When He left, that home was not better off. Now think about that. Homes are better off. When Jesus, are in, when Jesus is in those homes. And how does He get there? We can't walk in His footsteps any longer. We have to do what Luke did. Luke brought others to Christ. He allowed through Him the exact same way He saw Jesus. Through individuals, through investigation, and through initiative. He brought Jesus into the lives, into homes of other people. And he has always expected change, didn't he? Jesus, when he met someone, when he called that person, he expected change. When he interacted with them, he expected change. Now that change sometimes was drop your nets and follow me. Don't be fishers of fish any longer. Come and be fishers of men. And sometimes it was simply go your way and sin no more. But either way, there was always change expected. Expected growth when he invited someone to follow him. I think Luke saw Jesus perhaps more clearly than some of those who walked in his footsteps because he saw uh, the way that Jesus affected other people when they didn't walk in the footsteps of Jesus and they simply learned from other faithful people. What a wonderful lesson. Those everyday normal people who dedicated themselves to the Savior and they strove each day to live in accordance with His laws. I think that is how we're going to change the world. We're going to do it by changing individuals. And then the situation gets better. And I think that's what Jesus wanted. I think that's what He expects. And that's what we can do. If you've never obeyed the gospel, I don't see anyone here who's not a Christian, but we need to always be reminded, and we've talked about how to be a Christian in the sermon this evening. Faith and repentance, confession, immersion in water, and faithful living is how we become a Christian and how we maintain that. Sometimes we fail to uh, do the things that God has asked us to do. Sometimes we do not become or maintain the uh, being the individual that, that God wants us to be and we're not the influence we ought to be. Sometimes we do not investigate the things that we ought to investigate and learn and grow when it comes to the gospel. And sometimes we don't show the proper initiative in serving and striving to serve, to reach out to those around us. And God has made uh, plans for that. If we leave the light, we can come back to Him through repentance, confession, and prayer. And that's what He expects the Christian to do. We don't get back down in the water. 
Christ was buried and He rose again one time. We're buried, we come up walking in a new life, and when we allow sin to come back into our lives, we recognize that, we repent of the sin, we confess it to Christ, we confess it to God, and publicly if necessary, and we ask God to forgive us. And that's what He expects us to do. If you have need to answer this Lord's invitation at this time, please do that as we stand and as we sing.